0: Welcome to Fading Memories, a supportive podcast for those of us caring for a loved one with memory loss.
1: Jennifer and her sister chose MBK Senior Living for Mom, and as tough as it was, it was the right decision. MBK has a culture of genuine care, one that puts the needs of residents and their families first. They achieve this by building on a solid infrastructure of warm, inviting living spaces and impeccable amenities in attractive, desirable locations. Then their commitment to providing relationship-based care and their attention to each individual sets them apart. MBK gives back to their community, which is especially meaningful to our family. Their commitment every day is to practice compassion and to pay attention to residents' needs so that they can be nimble enough to adjust care accordingly. Their core motivation is, let our family help your family, and I can tell you that for our family, that goal is achieved. Mom seems happy, she has friends, and it's certainly a much better situation for her than living with us. At an MBK Senior Living community, their motto is, we are all family and here is home. For more information, go to their website, mbkseniorliving.com, or give them a call at 949- 242-1400. 242
0: Welcome back to the podcast. Today with me is Irene Olson. She is another Alls author, and she has written a novel called Requiem for the Status Quo. The character in her novel has the typical problem of family members that are not participating in care, giving their unwarranted two cents. We also discuss how to better help incorporate these family members who are reluctant or out of the area to aid in caregiving when that is not what they are interested in doing. So take a listen to our conversation, check out all's authors, and definitely take a look at her book, Requiem for the Status Quo. Hello. Hi. Nice to see you. Good to see you too.
2: Thanks so much for doing this. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Excellent. My name is Irene Frances Olson. I don't usually use the Francis, but to differentiate myself from other Irene Olsons that might be out in the universe, I added my middle name. Uh, the, the title of my novel is Requiem for the Status Quo. So tell me
0: the background of Requiem for the Status Quo.
2: Okay, well, Requiem for the Status Quo is loosely and not so loosely based on my experience being my father's long-distance caregiver when he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Uh, What I decided to do in this novel was certainly relay some of my experiences, but in a fictional manner. But not just my experiences, I also, after my father died, a few years later, I became an Alzheimer's Association care group facilitator. And uh, at the same time, uh, also was a um, long-term care ombudsman for the state of Washington who that's an advocate for people who live in long-term care communities. So some of those stories I tweaked quite a bit and added in my novel as well, because there's you're never going to run out of stories for... Um, whether it's fiction or nonfiction uh, about Alzheimer's disease or other dementia, because it's so prevalent. It's so prevalent. And so what I did in my novel, I wanted to make sure that I depicted the struggle uh, of the caregiver when other family members don't really pitch in. And that's what I did, excuse me, that's what I did with my novel. that was not the situation for me. I was blessed. My family supported me greatly, my brother and sister, uh, and my husband uh, with regards to what I needed to do for my father. But that's not always the case, unfortunately. And no, so I've, I've talked to people
0: who they're the only, they're the ones closest to the parent and mm-hmm. they're the ones that take care of 90% of what needs to happen. And, a lot of times they get questioned. A friend of mine's caring for her mom. Um, her mom does not have Alzheimer's. She has a lot of health issues. Sure. And she's been questioned as to, well, why didn't you take mom to the emergency room? She said she was in pain. And it's because she's been around the block with this her mother right. on this exact issue. They rush to the emergency room and there's nothing they can do. Or they refer her back to the doctor. She's like, I've been down that road. I know... You know, I know that she doesn't need to go, but of course, right. she gets second guessed, and yeah. you know,
2: and that's really difficult. It's difficult for the caregiver because they're, you know, they're they have a life outside of caregiving because yeah. <laughs> <And laughs> life doesn't all of a sudden come to a halt, everything still stays on the you know, you're up, up to bat, you know, trying to hit a bunch of balls in the air and keeping them in the air, but. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, they. I think. I think one of the reasons why other family members question or challenge the active caregiver is they feel, well, I'm not going to really do anything uh, physical to help out, but at least if I pipe up and say something, it looks like I'm interested and involved. <laughs> and I'm not saying that's the way it always is, but. But, but on the other hand, I would like to give a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, benefit of the doubt that some, care, some people just are not the caregiving type, and they don't have what it takes, and most caregivers don't. You know, I had all this experience. I worked in long-term care and, you know, all of this type of thing. I worked in memory care. And when it's your own family member, um, all of that professionalism and expertise pales in comparison to the actual thing when you're, when you're dealing with someone whom you love. So, um, it's a difficult path. Uh, it's a learn as you go situation. And I think a lot of people, family members are afraid of it and rightly so.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely not an easy path. No, um, my mom has had Alzheimer's. I actually didn't find out that it was a diagnosis of Alzheimer's until this year. I always thought it was de- dementia. And I think, I believe she's had it for at least 18 years. Mm-hmm. I was talking to Vicki, the author of blue right. hydrangeas yesterday, Mary Ann, Mary Ann. Sorry. I've talked to a lot of you guys. I'm getting, know, now. <laughs> um, and it, in her conversation, she talked about things that she did and I realized, Hey, my dad did some of the same things. And I realized that I was pretty sure it was 1998. He sent a letter to my, well, he called my mom's doctor's office. They blew him off, you know, blew off his concerns. They, he sent a letter. They just stuck it in his, her file. He went down there and I'm pretty certain it was 98, Mm -hmm. you know, and here it's 2018. So that's 20 years. Yeah. And she's still physically great. You know, she walks fine. She doesn't have any physical limitations, really, Mm -hmm. at this point.
2: that's, That's good. But, you know, you bring up a great point because a lot of times, you know, like my father was diagnosed in 2004, but he had symptoms before that. And so, you know, just because you're diagnosed, say, in 1998 or 2004 or whatever it might be, doesn't mean that's when it started there's always symptoms that happen prior to that and um, some people's journey is very long um, I I guess I could say I was fortunate in that my father's journey was about five years he died at the age of 89 um, combination of Alzheimer's and prostate cancer but uh, you know the cause is really the Alzheimer's because it debilitated his body so much he couldn't have surgery to get rid of the cancer, so, uh, but it's a long, it sounds like you've had a very long journey, and, and it's, it's, uh, it's one of the hardest journeys, not just for you, but also for the person with the disease.
0: Yeah, my grandmother and my great-grandmother also had, I believe my grandmother, my maternal grandmother had undiagnosed Alzheimer's, and when she was starting to get worse is when I suspected that my mom had it. And my mom was making comments. Well, I don't want to end up like my mom. Yeah. Like, uh, okay, murder's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what she want me to do with this because she had to know, and I think she and my dad were very good in the denial. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, they, they denied it, you know, because she has a neuro- neurologist appointment coming up, and. The predominant reason for doing that is because my sister and I need more answers. And I realize they're not going to be able to give me answers, so to speak. And my dad was fond of using the term scientific wild ass guess. Yeah. So I'm going to insist that they give me their best professional swag. You know, because my maternal grandmother started having significant issues late 70s. And passed away at 91. Well, my mom will be 76 in January. When she was formally diagnosed in September of 2011, she was 69 and she was already probably at the mid stages at that point. she She flunked all the memory tests with flying colors.
2: Yeah, yeah. So,
0: you know, it's, I've been looking back through at pick photographs because photography is what I do as a career. Oh, wonderful. While I build up the podcast. Mm -hmm. And I realized after my father died that if we didn't take pictures of mom, her history would cease at the same time he passed away. And I'm like, no, that's not right. So I use my cell phone and I take, you know, I do a lot of stuff. And at Mm -hmm. first it was a little more clandestine, a little more sneaking the snapshot in. But now I just ask her to take a picture, either take it with me or let me take your picture. And I insert excuse here. And she's always willing. I mean, she might give me the typical, oh, my hair or whatever.
2: Yeah, right. (laughs) But I've noticed that
0: her attention to her appearance has dramatically changed in the last few months. Mm -hmm. And that's interesting. It makes me glad that I take pictures somewhat frequently because it's easier to see, hey, back in April, you know, your hair looked really good. And now it does not um she they wash it you know they help her wash it but they don't help her dry it or style it or any of that they don't have time and i'm not sure right. she, you know plus too many issues with that and you know now it's like she i don't know what she does with it but <laughs> it's helpful yeah. to have that information so tell oh, me a, yeah,
2: yeah. So tell me about your dad well, um, my my dad's story starts actually a few years earlier. My mother died in September of 1994. She got her wish. She died in her sleep, <laughs> and no one expected it. She wasn't in the best of health, but it was still a, a shock to all of us. She was only 77. Mm. But prior to dying, mom and dad had decided they lived in Honolulu, Hawaii. And they decided that they wanted to never be a burden to us kids. And so they signed up to live in a continuing care retirement community in Medford, Oregon. So that's abbreviated that CCRC. So they were supposed to move um, like in January of 1995 to Medford, Oregon to live there independently. And my mom died. So dad said, well, the reason to move is still... Valid. So he moved and lived fully independently. Uh, Because with a CCRC, it's you start out living just retirement living, and then you might graduate to assisted living, and then assisted living might graduate to either memory care or to their health center, which is more like a nursing home. So basically, he would live the rest of his life there. And uh, a couple years after. Uh, he moved there. He, he met his next-door neighbor and married her, so that was great. Uh, so, so they both lived in, in cottages, what they called cottages, and then they got married, and my dad said, now, Irene, I want you to know we're not going to live together until we're married. I said, okay, <laughs> wasn't even going there. So, um, So they got married. Barbara had Parkinson's. And with Parkinson's, it can all oftentimes happen that you get this Parkinsonian dementia, and she did. And her health declined greatly, and she ended up living in the health center. Uh, And my father was living in assisted living. She died, and now my father's on his own. But before she died, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, but he was really quite high functioning. He lived in assisted living, but he was high functioning um, because in that CCRC, I mean, there's staff everywhere and, you know, someone always has an eyeball on him, except when he's in his apartment. So um, me living here in the Seattle, Washington area and my father being there Uh, My husband and I would drive down and we'd visit and we'd notice changes, but then it got to the point where dad was really, his disease was progressing. I received a call from the head nurse saying, I don't want you to be embarrassed, but um, your father was found in the hallway in his underwear and he had soiled his underwear and he was looking for someone to help him. So, at that point, we realized that uh, living in the assisted living apartment wasn't going to work. Um, he needed so much assistance: um, lay his clothes out, help him brush his teeth, etc. So, he was on a wait list to go to the memory care section of the complex. And but before he could get to the memory care section. Um, You know, they monitored all his meds, they provided all of his meds, and you know, for him, otherwise, they're not going to take it at the right time and not take the right dose, etc. But as a long distance caregiver, me being in the Seattle area, and my father being in Medford, boy, you make a lot of phone calls, and you receive a lot of phone calls, which I'm sure you do as well. And I ended up buying airline tickets in bulk. Oh, my. Yeah. And because it's a very brief flight, but a very long drive. So um, I just bought a whole bunch. And I went and visited my flew down there on my own, you know, just stayed at the Holiday Inn Express. I, you know, got real familiar with their buffet. And um, just spent a week at a time with my father so I could really see how he was doing. And because I had worked in memory care, I wanted to make sure they were doing the right thing for him. But, uh, you know, it was it was a journey. And my I was our family was very fortunate in that my father never lost his sense of humor. There are those who can turn violent uh, and totally changed their personality. And we were very, very fortunate that my father never lost his his sense of humor. He was never violent. He never yelled at me. Um, and so that was a wonderful thing. Um, but um, you know, he basically just started going downhill and more downhill. He ended up in the hospital. I flew down on an emergency basis to go see him, stay with him at the hospital. And um, basically, the cancer is what took him. Mm. Uh, But, you know, the the interesting thing I think that really resonates with me is I think this happens with every person, and maybe it's happened with you. Um, When the person is diagnosed they know they have something. They know they have Alzheimer's or some other type of dementia because, of course, Alzheimer's is a type of dementia. Dementia is the umbrella term, and then you've got Alzheimer's or Lewy body dementia or frontal temporal dementia, lots of different things. When they've been diagnosed, it's a really difficult psychological trauma to them and so he knows his memory is going he knows that he's forgetting what the elevator is called and says let's go in that box and push a button so we can go downstairs to have lunch um, it's a very distressing time for the person the patient and I think a lot of my early grief was that he was so traumatized by it and knew that he was losing it you know, because your brain, you know, you, your heart can't work without your brain. And um, he knew that he, he was losing it. And one of the times that I had a meeting with the head nurse, um, Cecilia, um, she sa- I said, I'm just so worried for dad because he knows he has this disease. She said, in time, he will become blissfully unaware. He will no longer be traumatized by knowing that he's losing it. And he'll just be himself. And that was a blessing that when he finally became blissfully unaware, but it was also a curse because it meant that he was getting further and further away from me.
0: That's true. My parents never shared with my sister and I when my mom was officially diagnosed. And now I'm wondering if, I'm wondering exactly how that went down. Ah. Because I know they were recommended to go to the senior services through their health insurance, which was completely ignored. Oh. (laughs) Which my dad did not have good health. And ignoring all of the resources that were out there. Yeah. He was unaware of them because he did not go through the senior services program. I see. Um, It definitely didn't help either one of them. No. I I tried. I researched and found the uh, an adult day program for her oh, good. because, you know, he didn't feel good. So his, and he was never a patient person to begin with. When you don't feel good and you're dealing with somebody who says the same thing every two minutes, right. It doesn't take very long before you want to punch them or yourself or both, you know, it's just yeah, I know. very bad very quickly. And he would not even contemplate going. I mean, he gave me all sorts of stupid excuses and I interviewed the local uh, senior day program that's here in my hometown, they actually incorporate the uh, children that are in the preschool and the afterschool. Oh, kids. good. Oh, it's, oh my gosh. That's it's wonderful. Blessing. Yeah. Oh. I mean, you know, they were encouraged to start this program because quote, oh my gosh, we really need this here and yet it's growing super slowly. So it's been a very huge frustration for them and I can understand why, but yeah, no, know that just talking to the gal, I was like, you know, and the the kids benefit and the seniors benefit but yes. what was uh, abundantly obvious to me was the, the sandwich chair parents sandwich generation folks benefited as well, even though they weren't present.
2: Yeah. Sure. Like
0: this is how it has, this is how it should work. And, you know, I, I wish my dad had taken me up on, you know, I did all the research. I talked to them. I got all the information. All we need to do is go and check it out. And that's where he threw on the brakes. Yeah. You know, at least, at least he could have done that and then thrown on the brakes, but we didn't even yeah. get that far. So one of the themes in your book, your novel, if I'm not mistaken, is a caregiver not getting support from other family members. Can you talk on that
2: topic at all? Sure. Um, in the book, and for me this would be f- truly fiction because I had great support, but in the book, the main character, uh, the protagonist, Colleen, She's front and center with her dad. Her sister lives in another state, but her brother lives right in the same area, the Seattle, Washington area. And he basically was in denial, And because, which is a very comfortable yet uncomfortable place to be. Um, he was in denial, and because he was in denial, he downplayed all of Colleen and his father's symptoms. So you know, Colleen would have coffee with him, and and uh, and he, she says, you know, I think instead of just him going to his general practitioner, he needs to go to a neurologist. Well, Jonathan would say, well, why does he need that? You're just blowing everything out of proportion. He doesn't need a specialist. He's been going to doctor. I forgot the doctor's name already. We'll just say Jones. He's been going to Doctor Jones forever. Uh, he trusts him. Uh, don't, don't switch up, don't switch it up. Just keep them there. But she, of course, did take him to a neurologist and he was diagnosed uh, with Alzheimer's. So what happens with Jonathan is it's, and when readers, when you, when they read the book, they'll see this, it's this very gradual, uh, enlightening time for him And for Colleen, because his sister, the protagonist, because what comes out is that Jonathan, he has a real, he's a realtor. So his career is real estate. His father used to be a real estate broker. So Jonathan was always a chip off the old block. You're just like your dad. You're just like your dad. You know, you look like him, you act like him, you sell real estate like him. Well, of course, if he's just like his dad, maybe he's going to be just like his dad, well, and, get, and get the same and get the same disease. So um, it, it's it's a journey, and I think we all, anybody who has a parent with some sort of dementia, is looking for themselves to looking at the symptoms they may too have. And You know, so um, it's understandable that he felt that way. Um, but it was very difficult for Colleen because a lot of times caregivers, uh, receive no support, but also criticism. You know, I'm going to criticize how you're doing this or that you didn't do this, but they're not going to step in and help. And that's just so difficult. And so my advice, I guess, would be, uh, one, one piece of advice to those who don't have the support is to find your tribe, find your tribe your tribe may not be family. Maybe they're too close. Maybe your tribe is like what you talked about, that your mom goes to this adult day center, and her tribe is the people that are there, or your tribe and her tribe are the people that are there and the children, etc. Or maybe it's a church group, or maybe it's your book club, You've got to have some sort of a tribe, someone that's going to help you. And oftentimes, um, caregivers become kind of a martyr. And this comes up in my book as well. Uh, Colleen's best friend, Pilar, says, I think you just love being a martyr. <laughs> and Colleen's like, no, I don't enjoy being a, a, a martyr. I don't, I'm not trying to be. Well, what comes out is that you need the person who's single-handedly, whether it's long distance or hands-on caregiving, um, they need to ask for help because a lot of people don't know how to help someone who's dealing with a family member with dementia. If it's cancer, if it's a broken leg, whatever the case may be, oh, I'll bring you over some meals, you know, that kind of thing. So caregivers need to be bold and ask for help. Because if you're the primary person and your health goes down, we well, are not going to be of any benefit to the person that you're supporting. So I always try to encourage the single caregiver, someone who doesn't have support, is to make sure that you ask your neighbor, could you mow my lawn? <laughs> you know, Or could you um, go on this errand for me? So, um, so that you're not so alone. I that's guess ex- so. yeah. excellent
0: advice because I know when someone passes away, people are always, well, let me know if I could do anything. And yep. and it's hard to pinpoint something they can do. So
2: I know. I know, And I'm so glad you said that because that's kind of a pet peeve of myself. I know that people mean their hearts are truly in it when they say, let me know, to, let me know if you need anything. I know that that's their way of trying to offer help and hoping maybe that, no one takes them up on their offer. I don't know. I don't want to be judgy on that. But, but instead, say, what can I do to help? Yeah. You know, I cook big casseroles at least once a week. Shall I add an extra few ingredients and give you some leftovers? Um, is to, is instead of just saying, let me know if you need help. You know the person needs help. They can barely leave their house to go get groceries or to go to the bathroom or whatever the case may be. You know the person needs help. Whether that person is caring for someone with dementia or cancer, whatever the case may be, you know they need help. So instead of saying, call me if you need me, say, what can I do for you? What do you need this week? And start there. That's excellent. What do you need this week? And then that person can do what that person needs. And then it becomes easier for the caregiver to say, oh, that was so great last week when you went on an errand for me, or that was so great when your husband was able to mow my lawn. Do you think he could do it like every three weeks? That would be so helpful for me, you know? So I think offer substantive help versus just the offer of help.
0: No, that's excellent. I do think that people might be afraid of, offering like you said oh well you know can your husband mow my lawn this week and then it turns and can he do it every three weeks i think people get afraid and i know i suffer from this i have a grandmother that's almost 101 wow and between my husband and i being self-employed and managing our household and our lives and dealing with my mom i'm a little standoffish with her because she's very good at sucking you in
2: Yes. Yes. I get
0: that. If we have a family meal, she will take home all the leftovers. She's mostly blind from glaucoma. So she needs food. She can just heat up in the microwave, but it's like, honey, and I'm not going to give you all the leftovers. Yeah. (laughs) And she doesn't it's, and it's not a, Oh, can I take this home? It's can you package this up for me? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm very (laughs) careful to not offer because I'm afraid if I offer A, she will want A through M. And then, you know, it's very
2: difficult to tell them no. So it's- Well, you can say yes and no at the same time. Yes, I'll give you some of this, but we need this also because, you know, we're hardworking and, and it, it helps us not to have to cook at the end of the day. <laughs> you know. So you can say yes and no, I guess, at the same time. But I totally get that. Everybody has a busy life. There's no one who has a carefree life. Whether you're retired or not, it doesn't matter. You still have responsibilities. And people are afraid to be overly committed. So I guess the person offering help needs to also feel that it's okay to set parameters. That makes sense. You know, it's okay to set parameters. Uh, because if a person is caregivers truly very needy, all of a sudden this person is like you're my you're my hero. You can do all this for me, and they can't do all that for the person. But I don't think most caregivers would would demand too much. They'd just be so happy to have someone that noticed that they had a need and could meet that need.
0: That makes sense. And if you have a tribe, like you mentioned earlier, your book club or your church group. It, it would help if your tribe, you know, I, I did a, an interview with another podcaster and his mom. Mm-hmm. And best story, because when her dad, his grandfather took care of mom until he, to the point where most of them didn't even know she had as serious a problem as she did. And when dad threw up the white flag and said, I can't do this anymore. You kids need to find you know, an assisted living home, a memory community for mom slash grandma, mostly mom, because it was these children that handle it. Mm -hmm. They actually formed what they call the committee and the committee does what, you know, each person contributes what they're comfortable with. So if somebody is, is in denial, is not the personality to be a caregiver, you know, maybe they can do X, X, and somebody else can do why. And I mean, I was just listening to them. I was like, you guys need to like do a TED talk or go on Oprah or something. And I'm totally right. showing sure my age with that one. <laughs> oh, no, you're not. <laughs> um, because what happened is before she passed away, his grandmother, the mom, it gets confusing when you talk to multiple generations at once. Right. She passed away this past June, but prior to her passing, one of her sisters also got Alzheimer's and was never married never had children so they expanded the committee good and now there and and even dad grandpa who is helping to take care of sister in law to the you know to what he can do and i mean it's just I mean, it was like, we talked for two hours. I'm like, oh, I'm trying to keep these episodes shorter than this.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'll definitely be within your limits today. But no, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I wrote an article on my blog years ago that's called Caregiving, the Ultimate Team Sport. Because like you said, and and this kind of what happened in my novel, Requiem for the Status Quo, is that Jonathan was great in real estate. So he, Colleen was able to partner with him to help to find a place for dad. So he had this real estate mind. So even though going to assisted living or memory care is different than buying your independent house, uh, she used his skills and that was great. And he felt good about it. But in this article that I wrote years ago, you know, maybe someone loves, and this takes a special person, loves going through s uh, explanation of benefits, the insurance benefit things and figuring out, okay, what Medicare paid and didn't pay and what, you know, what the supplemental will pay. Someone, some people love that kind of detail stuff. So you find the person that loves that, whether it's a brother or a neighbor or whatever the case may be, um, that person could help. And that's not necessarily an ongoing thing or someone, um, Oh, just loves to cook. So that person gets to do the meals and package them up. But Because it is a te- team sport. It should be a team sport. It isn't always. But finding someone who doesn't want to do the caregiving, but I'll go through all of those insurance benefit pages, you know, is something that we, most of us, would hate to do, but somebody else would love to do because they're helping without having to have the hands on help.
0: Yeah, going through all that insurance stuff takes... It takes a special person because it's it so confusing.
2: It's very confusing, and and I and you know I think the insurance industry knows that. So um, I'm quite certain they do know that. So you know, having someone who doesn't mind that kind of detailed, somewhat anal type of uh, task, uh, boy, that takes a great relief off of someone's shoulders.
0: Yeah, because I. I look through that stuff. I'm like, I I'm, as long as the bills are getting paid, I don't, what the rest of this says, you know, cause with open enrollment right now, it's, you know, I get a giant stack oh, yeah. of stuff for my mom and my husband looks at it. Now it's funny. My husband's name is John and he's a real estate agent. <laughs> so he's much better at reading those things and comprehending them. I read them, you know, and I'm not stupid. I read them. And I'm like, makes no sense. Do I throw this away or do I put it in the file cabinet? Where is this going? Cause right, right. If you weren't standing here, it would be right into the recycle bin because, you know, she's my mom's got fantastic health coverage. Yay. God could not get this kind of health coverage at this point. So we're very blessed and it's cheap. I think she spends like $280 a month and it covers pretty much everything. Medicare, oh, She even has catastrophic care in case she also gets cancer or some other disease. (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately it doesn't cover, you know, like the memory community or any of that, but my dad invested. So between renting out their home and her social security and some, you know, direct deposit from their investment every month, you know, she's, she's got plenty of money. So that's a blessing, but yeah, no reading, reading that I'd rather cook.
2: Every day for somebody else, then read that stuff. Then read all through that. Exactly. Well, you know, I was just thinking of another thing with regards to, you know, I know I said, you know, big advice is to find your tribe. Another piece of advice that I would have, which I've lived even before my father's situation, was to, I, and, and when I was uh, signing my novel at bookstore sellings and all that type of thing, I always would write remember to celebrate even the smallest of victories that come your way. Because if you're just waiting for the big accomplishment to happen so that you can celebrate, you're going to be waiting a long time. But if you can celebrate just even the smallest of things, oh, dad, remember my name today, <laughs> you know, then then, you don't, then it doesn't seem like everything is all dire and doom and gloom. Because if you could just look for the very smallest thing to celebrate, um, it makes you feel like it isn't all lost. So that would be something that I would suggest that, you know, um, look for the good things. Because if you don't look for them, you're not, you might not see them. But if you look for them, um, you might just find a few good things to celebrate every day. Or at least
0: one. That is a good one. A few weeks ago, I had to take my mom to establish a new relationship at her doctor's office. Her doctor left the practice. Uh, Of course, they insisted, you know, did I bring her? I'm like, this is pointless. She's not going to establish anything. But I followed the instructions. And when I arrived at her residence to take her, she wasn't in her room. And she wasn't in her friend's room. There were three Dianes. That's my mom's name. There are now only two. And of course she befriended the two Dianes just to confuse everybody.
2: <laughs> so of course. Oh, that's fun. So I had to
0: track down one of the caregivers and say, uh, do you have any idea where my mom is? Cause she's not in her room. She's not in the dining room. I've, I've, I've done a spin around the, the facility here and I, <laughs> I don't see her. And they're like, Oh, I think she's in the other Diane's room. And I, you know, knock on the door and go in and there they are just, chatting away and i'm like you know it's so nice that you know she's got all these friends here and you know as frustrated as it was that you know i had a i had a time frame right right you know and and you do have a
2: slight panic it's like uh why can't i find her (laughs) yes but isn't that lovely that she has a companion Mm -hmm. that she can visit with and they talk to each
0: other and understand each other. Yeah. And when we were done with the doctor's office, I brought her back and I took her right to her friend. And I'm like, see, I told you I'd bring her back. And I think they just picked up where they left off. And it was oh, isn't
2: that cute.
0: Yeah. And it, it makes things easier for me. And I, it's funny because mom needed her nails done whew, desperately. I should have done it a week or two ago, but I took her to one of the, there's a nail salon, like literally within five minutes of where she mm-hmm. lives. And I, when I showed up, I said, "Hey, I thought it'd be fun to go get our nails done." And she looks at her nails, which are just a ratty mess, and some of them were just ridiculously long. It shows you think. And I'm like, uh, "No, <laughs> kind of no." And her friend was there, and then she's like, "Can I go?" And it's like, "Oh my god, it's okay." So I told the staff, "I'm like, she'd like to go. It's fine." And they're like, "Okay, let me just." They, they called her daughter, and you know, I took both. Alzheimer's old ladies to the nail place and isn't that sweet? Yeah, you know, and I did that with her other friend. You know, I actually find it almost a little easier to take both of them because they communicate with each other better than they communicate with me. And it's a third person, so it kind of breaks up the. Oh yes, now yeah, people people that don't deal with people with memory loss they have no. clue. They think I'm insane. I'm like, no, trust me. I yeah. would not subject myself to double torture. I'm not that, I'm not that good. Right. My does not shine that brightly.
2: (laughs) But it almost takes the pressure off you, you know, because you brought this other gal with your mom and they occupied themselves and you didn't have to necessarily converse with them. And I mean, that was a real gift that you gave by doing that. That and
0: her daughter, the other Diane's daughter, it'd be hysterical if her name was Jennifer. Yeah. um, was so grateful that they're like, oh, you know, we how they were she was worried about like, well, how do I how do I pay her? I'm like, don't worry about it. It's 15 bucks for a manicure, it's not the big a deal. Right, right, like, right. If I'm gonna worry about 15 bucks, I got bigger worries. And now I've established without ever having talked to them, seen them, or anything, now I've established kind of a relationship that I can expand on. Oh, and that's it, was, good. it was very helpful. There was another gal that lived in the same community with my mom and her daughter and I, we go to the same support group. So um, she had to move out because she, she got knocked over by another resident and broke her femur. Oh dear. Yeah. So she felt that in a small, she'd be better off in a smaller setting. Her mom has vascular dementia. So she frequently wants to know when she's going home. Yeah. Sometimes she'd ask me, I'd start getting all those questions And having created a relationship with her daughter, I was able to respond the same way the daughter did. I could text her and say, hey, mom's trying to break out. Yeah. yeah. You know, it it helps, you know, because these places, you know, they have a heck of a time keeping staff. They've got a core base that's been there the whole time my mom's been there, which is about almost about 20 months. And, you know, and then the rest of them come and go because that's just such a difficult job. I mean, there's no, no amount of money they can pay those people to, to, to make some of them stay. No, they're not. Um, so it's been my, I think when I first, when mom first moved in, first off, it was traumatic because she'd cry every time we showed up. Um, but I saw so many family members complain and, and act like, like they needed to be served as well. Like, Oh, you know, dear, yeah. I'm like, you guys are taking care of my mom. I'm taking care of my, mom. we're on the same team. I don't expect you to do stuff for me because you have all these other people to deal with. I'm, I'm more than capable. So right. I, you know, I've, I've helped residents with TVs and shoes and, you know, I, I, I draw the line at a lot of things that I'm not physically capable of doing. Like, sure. you know, like one gal's always asking for help and I'm like, I'll go get Christina or one of the other staff, but. She's always asking for help. I mean, the staff has to tune out probably at least half, if not three quarters, of the re- because it's it's just her her repetitive. Yeah, statement I get it. Is, yeah. help me, help me. I need help. Can somebody help me? I mean, it's it's hard to listen to, but I know you, know, you try to help her, and there's nothing there's nothing that she needs help with. So that's yeah. that's my my little thing is I I try to make sure when I'm there with my mom, I help. My mom, I help whoever needs. And I do what I can. I'm not there. To, I think that's great. Yeah, I'm not there to be waited on or. No, no, no. Yeah. So That's good. Sounds like you have a handle on it, Jen. <laughs> I hope so. I just plug it away. So you, yep.
2: are you still doing the uh, support group facilitating? No, I'm not. I did that for five years. I did both the support group and the long-term care ombudsman work for five years. And, uh, then, then my husband retired and I decided, okay, so then maybe I can retire. (laughs) But then, then I wrote a book. So, so you don't really retire. You don't ever retires. And I'm a grandma who takes care of her grandson two days a week. So I love that too. So no, I'm not doing that anymore. My brother is, um, my brother is leading a support group for men. Um, as often, not oftentimes, as always happens, life happens when you least expect it. One month after my father died, my brother's wife was uh, diagnosed with vascular dementia. Oh, dear. <laughs> so, and, and Nancy died in 2012, but uh, my brother was a f- fantastic spouse caregiver for his wife and a few years after she died, he then, you know, joined the Alzheimer's Association as a volunteer to be a support group facilitator for men, because a lot of times men don't want to be in a group with women. They want to feel like they can be vulnerable, maybe cry, maybe yell <laughs> without being judged. And uh, they a lot of times men are afraid that they'll be judged if they're in a group with women with women I wouldn't judge them I would probably be screaming with them yeah so so anyway uh answer to your question no I am not but another person in my family is doing that and it's uh helping out a great deal
0: yeah the the facilitator for the group here in town she's fantastic that's Um, good this month was my one year anniversary of attending oh good so yeah and it's there's. It's funny because there's. sometimes I can help give advice because I talk to so many people. Absolutely, yeah. And then I learned things. I think it was, what, October we had open forum, and my mom had been wearing the same clothes repetitively. Oh, yeah. And they weren't always super clean. You know, she was always dressed appropriately, but she was starting to look like a bag lady. Yeah. yeah. And it didn't embarrass me that she looked like that other than I was concerned people would be, they would be concerned that I wasn't taking care of her. Or, right, you know, right. I put together nicely and she looks like something the cat drug in. And so I, I found out that they they had switched her shower schedule to the afternoon. I said, no, no, put that back to the morning. My mom was never an afternoon shower person. And I, I said, you know, it's, I found that out by asking them, is she giving you a hard time about changing clothes? And they said, yes. So I think that same week was our caregiver support group meeting. And I think two thirds of us all had the same problem. It's like our family members are refusing to shower and change clothes. And what do we do? And I took the advice and it seems to be working because every time I see my mom once a week, every time I see her wearing something different. Okay. You know, and it was one of those things where it's like, well, that lo- advice is too logical. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. Well, and, and another thing that some people do, um, and I think we did that for my dad, um, if they want to wear the same outfit, you buy like two or three same outfits. Yeah, you know, it looks The same for- khaki pants, the same checkered shirt, whatever, so that he wants to wear that Well, the staff can remove the dirty clothes and he can still wear the same clothes because he recognized that
0: was one of the things she she suggested and i did look for a sweater that was similar to the one i mean literally okay, i'm in northern california she wore the sweater all summer oh 105 degrees i know i want to take her out and it's like you know it's a three-quarter length sleeve medium weight sweater i'm not taking you out in the 105 degree temperature in that sweater change change shirts <laughs> i know my father but, was the same way yeah and when she needed new pants because she had lost a lot of weight, and my sister bought her some that looked fantastic on her. And because they're not familiar feeling, she doesn't wear oh, them very often. Noticed it. Oh wow. So I finally, you know, I'm like, I cannot believe I have to go on the hunt for the old lady polyester pants. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, thankfully there's still a Kmart nearby, and they had pants go. that were similar, but I'm like, these legs. They're they're skinnier than she likes, even though that's what looks really good on her. And so then I went to Penny's and struck out there. And I was leaving the shop- shopping center. And I'm like, wait, Dress Barn. And they had... Oh, there you go. Yeah, I was like, I cannot believe that I have to... <laughs> you know, like, I'm going to have to go on Amazon and order the pants that I know she used to, to wear. But fortunately, yeah. you know, and then when her friend moved out, her daughter took all of the clothes that weren't her mom's and they yes. had five, you know, medium sized garbage bags full of clothes that weren't hers. Wow. So a bunch of my mom's stuff reappeared that day.
2: <laughs> yes. And I found that happened with my dad too. I'd, I'd pop into the memory care unit and I'd see a, an old guy walking down the hallway and he's wearing dad's shirt. I go, Hey dad, dad. No, no. He was just wearing my dad's shirt.
0: That's funny. <laughs> Yeah, and it was funny because this gal was the one that was convinced that other people were stealing from her.
2: Oh, yes, that is such a common occurrence in long term care facilities, especially in assisted living and memory care. Yeah, it, it, people misplace things. <laughs> yeah, we had that with the wedding
0: rings. I showed up, oh dear, and you know, because of course they said, you know, don't bring anything of value. Yeah. I'm like, My dad just passed away two weeks ago. They were married 55 years. I'm not ripping the rings off of her fingers. Right. That's just not happening. And so that was about six or seven months later. I show up. They're missing. Uh oh. She's frantic.
2: Oh, no doubt.
0: So I asked the afternoon staff to contact the morning staff that had helped with her shower to see if she'd had them on in the shower. And maybe they had been taken off and God knows where she'd stuck them. And they had end, ended up finding them in another resident's room. Well, she'd lost so much weight. I'm sure they were twirling around her off, finger. Right? Yeah. And she yeah. probably took, cause there were both rings were off. So I, yeah. fortunately she does not remember that those are gone cause they're here with me. And you know, it's just like,
2: pff,
0: yeah, there's nothing of value at this point left, but it's like, it gets so frustrating. You buy them somewhere. of course it does. You know, I buy, bought her a little vanity organizer thing, and it lasted about six weeks, and then oh. gone.
2: Yeah. Well, you're doing a good work, Jan. You are. Well, Still I appreciate good the, stuff. I appreciate
0: the conversation today. And once I yeah. finish Blue Hydrangeas, I'll read yours. I didn't realize yours was also a novel.
2: Yes, it is. Requiem for the status quo. Yeah. Yep. So I'll have to
0: read that. And I put in, everybody I've talked to, I'm putting all their books on my page as well so that oh, lovely. You know, people can just click through and order them. Oh, good. So that way they don't have to think, you know, we don't have time to like go to separate oh, I websites. Know, just I know, I know. Quick, click and order and boom, be done.
2: That's wonderful. I really appreciate that you're doing this because you're doing it for your, your audience. It's also a blessing for those authors that you're, interviewing, not just because of sales. I never went into, wrote a book expecting that I was going to make a million dollars. And good thing, I'm not disappointed. I haven't made a million (laughs) dollars, but um, just to be able to help, you know, I wrote the novel, um, hoping that my experience, even though the novel is fiction, it's based loosely on my life. If I could help somebody else from my experience, then that's a win-win and you're helping other people through your experience and that's a win-win as well. So thank you very much. You're
0: welcome. That's why I started the podcast because I was trying to read and research and on the internet and I thought, man, if somebody has their parent at home, they don't have time for this. No, no. Blurry eyes and a headache and no information that was helpful. Yep. Well, thank you very much for everything. I really
2: appreciate it. You're welcome. And do you have any other books planned? Uh, I have a couple in the works. Um, It probably won't be an Alzheimer's-focused one, but every book that I write will have that element in it because because Alzheimer's or other dementia is so prevalent elsewhere that to have a book that doesn't mention it or have that element is not being true. (laughs) So... That makes sense. Yep. Yep. Thank you,
0: Jen. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I know we did. Definitely check out the show notes. I have extensively written how to deal with caregiver stress, how to incorporate family members who are not good or willing to do hands-on day-to-day caregiving, lots of great information on the show notes or the website, fadingmemoriespodcast.com. And as always, I will be in your ears next week. Are you looking for a way to connect with your loved one? Maybe an activity you can do together instead of sitting around answering the same questions over and over again? Have you checked out two-lap books yet? If you haven't, you're missing out on something that I am certain you and your loved ones will thoroughly enjoy. Two-lap books have changed many of the visits I've had with mom tremendously. These simple read-aloud books were created specifically for memory-challenged adults. You see, people living with Alzheimer's eventually lose their ability to initiate conversation with others. Because of this, these uniquely adapted books, quote, give voice to these loved ones. By using the book's large, simple text and beautiful, colorful illustrations, we can initiate conversations. Most noteworthy, we can make meaningful connections with our loved ones and help stimulate their mind. Caregivers will enjoy sharing these books and creating purposeful, interactive activities for engaging people with memory deficits. Reading these books together could very likely bring out memories you can cherish together. There's a link in the show notes to the My Favorite Things page on my website. The page is linked to the Amazon pages of all my favorite books and products that have helped me with my mom over the years. Definitely check it out. I'm certain you'll find something that will help you like they helped me. That's why I created this page for you. Hey, listeners, can you do me a big favor? Can you click on the five-star button right there on your phone? Or head over to Apple iTunes and leave a rating or review? This is how new people find my podcast, and I can't be a supportive podcast if people don't know I
2: exist. Thanks so much.